Good morning. <laughs> I'd like to share some of God's word that we are becoming more familiar with these days. Um, Romans twelve nine through twenty one. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Barbara. Good morning, everybody. My name is Victor. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Chapel. It's a joy to to welcome you to this place. Um, Yeah, we get to talk about um, not being haughty. What does that mean? You'll you'll know soon. Um, First, I just want to ask this question. What does it mean to bless? What does it mean to bless? Like Ben shared Last week, in verses 14 through 21, Paul's referring to how the churches in Rome should relate to those outside of their community, specifically with those who've treated them with contempt. And just like the exhortations in verses 9 through 13 were, were different facets of what Paul calls genuine love, Paul describes in verses 14 through 21 what it looks like for the church in Rome to bless and not curse their enemies. Do you see it in verse 14 there? It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. So what does it mean to bless? 
This isn't a new idea. Even for Paul's original audience in the first century, it was God's heart when he created and blessed our parents, Adam and Eve, that they would be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In other words, that they would be a blessing. After sin entered into the picture, this was still God's plan for his people. He says to Abraham in Genesis 12, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. God keeps his promise. Abraham becomes a great nation. God blesses them. He rescues Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He sets them in a beautiful land, gives them his law, yet they continue again and again to sin against him. But God's plan doesn't change. They're carried away into exile by foreign kingdoms, but God still exhorts them through his prophets, build houses, And live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, multiply there, and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. In other words, be a blessing. And finally, in Jesus, the dividing wall is torn down between Jew and Gentile. In him, there is no Jew or Greek. The people of God are simply those who believe in him by faith. And their calling remains the same. Be a blessing to the world. Be, be my priests and priestesses, my kings and my, my queens. Bring heaven to earth in the places that you dwell, among the people that you dwell. Bless them. Bless them. This was hard for the first followers of Jesus because we're well acquainted by now with the issues that were going on between Jew and Gentile, right? Paul addresses it later in chapter 14. He says, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So Jew and Gentile, they looked at the differences between one another, and you know what they said? No thanks. What was, the solu- what was, what was their conclusion? Contempt. Contempt. Not only were there internal tensions, there were external pressures too. So Christians were looked on with suspicion and contempt by the Greco-Roman world. They were accused of things like atheism, social unrest, because they wouldn't worship the gods of the state. They were despised. They were deemed socially unprofitable because of the types of folk that joined their congregation. So listen to these words from Celsus. He's a Greek philosopher. He was one of the first opponents of Christianity from the second century. He charged the Christians with being the uninstructed, the servile, and the ignorant who repel every wise man from the doctrine of their faith and invite only the ignorant and vulgar. They manifestly show that they desire and are only able to gain over only the silly the mean and the stupid with women and children. 
So I'm just curious if Celsus posted these things on his Twitter feed about our church, how would you respond to those kinds of accusations? The house churches in Rome are tempted to respond in kind, to curse and retreat completely from the world, or to grab for power, to take things into their own hands, exact vengeance. And Paul says, bless and do not curse. We live in a culture of contempt not so different from first century Rome. We, we elevate ourselves. We not only disagree over differences with other Christians and those outside the community of faith, but instead of entering into respectful dialogue, we just strip away any value, any voice that they have. We shut it down and we conclude that, that they just don't have much to offer us. We can do without them. And, and in this sort of arrogance, I think that we, we forfeit any opportunity that we had, that we once had to bless them. So how do we bless in a culture of contempt? Well, this is our big idea for the day. When we're too high-minded to bless, we need to go low enough to love. Let me pray. King Jesus, uh, we just sang songs about how you showed up in a manger on a cold night as a baby. You became one of us. And so we look to you now, the humble, lowly one. Would you uh, guide us? We have your book open before us. Change us by your spirit. Speak to us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this first point when we're too high-minded to bless. Paul says in verse 16, do not be haughty. Can you say that word with me? Haughty. It's a fun word to say. The the, uh, NASB translates it, do not be haughty in mind. The word construction here in the Greek, it literally means don't be thinking exalted or high things. Don't, Don't be thinking too highly of yourselves. There's mention of people like this throughout the scriptures. Proverbs 30 says, There are those, how lofty are their eyes, how high their eyelids lift. When I do this, when I look at you like this, do you feel loved? Do you feel delighted in? Do you feel blessed? Probably not. Not only can we elevate ourselves outwardly, we can do so inwardly, even before our God. So consider Luke 18. It's on the front of your bulletin. He, being Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. We elevate ourselves above, above others. Why? I mean, there's probably a many, many reasons, but to retain some sense of power, control, a sense of self-righteousness, we get to say to ourselves, well, at least I'm not them. At least I'm not them. We look at those who are different, who disagree with us, and not only do we see them as incorrect, we conclude that they are in fact worthless. 
defective. When we position ourselves like this, whether it's individuals or whole churches, we just forfeit our chance at blessing. John Gottman, he's this American psychologist. He's worked for over four decades on divorce prediction and marital stability. And this man is amazing. He can predict through simply observing a couple for one hour with 94% accuracy if a couple will stay together or not. If their relationship will, will flourish or end in divorce. And do you know what he looks for? It's not based on anger or even the heatedness of their conflict, but on indicators of contempt, sarcasm, mocking, hostile humor at the expense of another, eye-rolling or high eyelids. Paul is saying that the same is true for For these house churches in Rome, if they elevate themselves over and against one another or above those outside their community, remaining convinced that the other isn't only wrong, but even worse, has nothing of value to offer them, then they, like a marriage diseased with contempt, will fall apart and forfeit their ability to bless their neighbor. So a question to ponder, is there a person or a group of people that you consider beneath you. Not only do you think that they're wrong for holding on to the differences between you, but those very differences make them useless, defective. Who comes to mind for you? What do we do when we come to this sobering realization that we become too high-minded to be a blessing? Well, we we need to go low enough to love. That's our second point. In verse 16, Paul tells the Roman house churches, instead of being contemptuous towards one another and those who persecute them to associate with the lowly. The Greek here for lowly, it means undistinguished or of no account. And more often than, than not, it's used to refer to a type of person that has the Lord's attention, that has the Lord's might, that has the Lord's comfort. So in Psalm 138, David says, For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Mary in the Magnificat A song of praise as she reflects on being caught up in God's redemptive story says, He has shown great strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, in their high-mindedness. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. God is mighty on behalf of the lowly. In 2 Corinthians 7, Paul says that our God comforts the downcast or lowly person. You might be surprised to know that God uses this word to describe himself and what he does. In Matthew 11, Jesus describes himself as lowly in heart. And in Philippians 2, Paul talks about Jesus who humbled himself, lowlied himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
This word, it can also describe not just people, but actions too. If you look at the footnote attached to this word in your Bible, it might say, give yourselves to humble tasks. Scholars are divided on whether or not Paul is referring to lowly tasks or people. Let's consider both. When we elevate ourselves above others, you know, lowly tasks can seem beneath us too, right? And like we've seen already, in arrogance, we can view people as lowly and only relate to those who agree with us, who affirm us, who can advance our reputations. So lowly people or lowly tasks. I think it's safe to say that Paul could be referring to both. It fits the context well. They both do. They're paralleled elsewhere in the New Testament. But why does Paul exhort the Jewish and Gentile Christians to associate with these types of people or tasks? It's because he knows they possess a wisdom that we can't get anywhere else. I'll say that one more time. He knows that these tasks and people possess a sort of wisdom that we cannot get anywhere else. That's why he says at the end of verse 16, never be wise in your own sight. Paul's saying when those who observe your life together as followers of Jesus conclude that you are lowly, that you are socially useless, when they persecute you, curse you, Do not respond in kind, rather, in associating with the lowly. Learn from them. Consider their wisdom. Though they are the despised, they don't respond with contempt because they feel closer to Jesus' lowly heart than the proud and powerful ever could. Though they are forgotten by the world, they don't make a fuss, right? They, they have the Father's full attention. They have his eyes, his favor. Though they possess no power, no political clout, they don't respond with vengeance. They have full access to the mighty hand of the Lord who will act on their behalf. Though they barely have the resources to cope with daily life, let alone the material comforts of the wealthy, they've truly experienced the consolation of the God of all comfort. The church in the first three centuries made the lowly their mentors. And this is what it looked like. Among us, you will find, this is from um, Athenagoras. He was a first, second century Christian, Christian convert. He says, among us, you will find uneducated people and artisans and old women, i.e. lowly persons who, if they are unable in words to prove the benefit of our doctrine, yet by their deeds, i.e. lowly tasks, they exhibit the benefit arising from their persuasion of its truth. They don't rehearse speeches, i.e. their sermons are just okay, but exhibit good works. They don't um, respond in kind to the contemptuous accusations of their enemies. They let their good deeds speak for themselves. When struck, they do not strike again. When robbed, they do not go to law. They give to those that ask of them, and they love their neighbors as themselves. 
How does a church respond like this and bless those who persecute and curse them? They, they look to the lowly in their world, lowly of the world, as their primary mentors. Um, so we installed, uh, I don't know if you've seen it out there on si- the corner of 16th and A, we installed a prayer box um, so that our neighbors can submit their prayer requests. And, and, and so every Wednesday morning when we gather as a staff, we can pray for our neighbors. And um, what started as a desire to associate ourselves with our neighbors, um, some of whom would very much fit this this uh, category of lowly folk has had unexpected consequences. It's changing me. It's changing us. It's shaping us. It's exposed things within me that need repentance, like an entitlement that I possess that expects life to be easy and comfortable. Their prayers are just different than mine. They approach God in a different way. They possess a joy and a hope that remains sturdy, even though they're more susceptible to the harshness of life. When I feel rejected or dismissed or cursed by others, man, I want the thick skin that they have. I want the faith that they have in a God who sees them, acts on their behalf, and even became like them in the person of Jesus. We need the wisdom of the lowly if we ever hope to be a blessing in our culture of contempt. So what small step can you take to associate with the lowly and learn from the wisdom that they only possess? What humble task can you engage in on a daily, weekly basis that will sober a high-mindedness that looks down on others? Let's consider lowly tasks. Maybe it's something as simple as making the bed, folding the laundry, putting away the clean dishes, getting the groceries, picking up trash in your neighborhood, shoveling your your neighbor's driveway. Overlooked and ordinary, very ordinary tasks that shape a heart with humility? Or what about people? How can you seek out the wisdom of the lowly? Maybe it's stopping to listen to the old man across the street who only has his two cats left. And and you get to learn from and wonder at his faith in Jesus that erupts in like a real smile not a a, a fake sort of smile um, in a nice to meet you, how about you move along kind of way, but uh, and and, and erupts with a joy in his heart that's contagious, even though he has been dealt what, what the world would say is a bad hand. Maybe a good place to start is simply praying for eyes to see these people because they're often easy to overlook or miss when we're going too fast or just consumed with our ourselves. So to finish, the the wisdom of the lowly, it's an upside down sort of wisdom. It's a cross-shaped wisdom. It's a wisdom of God that seems like foolishness in our dog-eat-dog world. But, But our God chose what is foolish in the world to shame 
the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Our God chose Mary, a humble teen from a little farm town called Nazareth. Our God chose a smelly stable and a manger for his first night on earth. Our God chose to announce his arrival first to callous-handed, stinky, lower-class shepherds. Our God chose to call blessed the sick, lonely, paralyzed, poor, and demon-possessed. Our God chose a criminal's death on a cross, foolishness to those that are perishing but the power of God to those who are being saved. If we ever hope to bless and not curse our enemies in a world filled with contempt, we need this wisdom. We need this lowly-hearted Jesus to forgive us of our pride and our arrogance to humble us and keep us low enough to love others. Amen. Let me pray. Father, would you, um, for those of us here who feel like the lowly, who feel despised and rejected and forgotten by the world, God, would you draw near to them? Would you honor them? And would they feel um, exalted in a place like this, like they have Value. Would we recognize the value that you place on them because you made yourself like them? I pray for more lowly folk to come into our congregation because we need their wisdom and we need mentors like that. And Lord, I just pray for the unity of our church. I just feel called to pray for that. We are divided over um, everything, it seems. And we do not look good. Uh, We do not look like something that people want to get involved in. We don't make our, our world curious about you. We make them despise you in a lot of ways. Forgive us, Lord. Unite us, even though we have our differences. Help us learn from the lowly. Pray this in his, in Jesus' name. Amen.